Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast, the first podcast of 2023. This is Tuesday, I was about to say June, which is crazy, January 3rd, 2023. And here I am, I'm still writing 1987 on my checks. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. As we speak, uh, the uh, new Congress has arrived in Washington. Its first order of business is the voting in of a new Speaker of the House, which happens every two years. It is the first order of business. You can't even do anything in the House constitutionally until the speaker is installed. And as I'm sure many, if not most of the people who listen to this podcast know, there is a crisis in the very tiny majority Republican conference. Um, 218 votes are needed to uh, to elect a speaker. Um, actually, maybe a few, one or two less, because there aren't, a, there isn't a full complement of 435 in the House body it has to be a majority of the of the house um and uh kevin mccarthy who has been the minority leader of the house uh does not have the votes does not have 218 votes because of uh, a very bizarre set of circumstances in the republican conference we don't know what's going to happen uh maybe it'll get resolved maybe it won't but the fact that there has been sort of months of this where the Kevin McCarthy, who was basically supine uh, when it came to uh, Trump, Trumpism, Trump land, refused even to sort of, after having a, a fit on January 6th about how dangerous how Trump had placed them all in danger, wouldn't even say a word against Trump uh, after uh, it became clear that the public or the Republican public wasn't abandoning Trump in the in the wake of the January 6th insurrection. Um, very unprincipled person, not an attractive leader, uh, person of no ideas, uh, a, a, as I say, sort of morally and politically supine. Nonetheless, his supine nature has not endeared him apparently to eight or nine Republicans in the uh, out of the 222 or however many it is. Republicans in the House, and they are readying to oppose him, at least on the first ballot, in the vote for Speaker. Um, and as is traditional with supine creeps, uh, McCarthy has been attempting to horse trade uh, by uh, doing whatever he can just to get the vote passed um, and agreeing to all kinds of stuff to get the vote passed or not. We don't even know. It doesn't matter. This just goes to the condition of the Republican Party, elected officials of the Republican Party, the nature of the Republican Party in the House. Um, and I'm just going to posit something and then ask you guys to. So in 1994, in the election of 1994, there had been prior to 1940 years of uninterrupted Democratic rule in the House of Representatives, 40 years, 20 Congresses <clears throat> were dominated by democrats finally republicans take over newt gingrich becomes speaker and in four years um after having narrowly survived a coup against him a coup attempt against him 
1998 election is a disappointment for Republicans because the impeachment of Bill Clinton turned on them a little familiarly to what happened in 2022 with Republicans who looked like they were set for uh, you know, a great result and uh, and uh, things that they did uh, harmed them sufficiently so that actually Democrats uh, did far better than anybody would have anticipated. Gingrich resigns. Immediately, he is going to be succeeded by Bob Livingston of Louisiana. Uh, Livingston then has to concede that he was having an affair, and he then resigns, <laughs> not only from the speakership race, but from the Congress, then becomes a multi-billionaire, zillionaire lobbyist. Um, and uh, Gingrich's uh, amiable deputy, Denny Hastert, becomes Speaker of the House of Position he holds until 2007 when Nancy Pelosi becomes Speaker for the first time. Hastert then, 10 years later, goes to jail for molestation, uh, sexual assault of uh, underage boys. Uh, That's Speaker number one. Speaker number two is uh hold on where am i here speaker number two is john boehner uh john boehner spends his speakership four years of his speakership battling increasingly uh hysterical intransigent difficult people on his right flank uh who keep trying to vote him out and then he quits he quits just up and quits says i'm not doing this anymore goodbye I'm leaving. Uh, and um, Paul Ryan uh, becomes speaker and a speaker until 2018, whereupon he quits because he can't work with Trump and the caucus is impossible and everybody is stupid and drives them crazy. And then they lose the majority ship. And now we have Kevin McCarthy. This is the history of the Republican turnaround in the House. Okay. Gingrich has to resign. Livingston doesn't become speaker and resigns. Uh, Boehner resigns. And he literally resigned from the House, not quits. And then Ryan announces he's not running again. And here we are with McCarthy. This is a diseased, this is a diseased party. Party cannot get itself organized to do anything proper in the House. It's now 30 years of this, almost 28 years of this. Uh, Abe, you're nodding. So let's try to come up with a theory. So we don't practically know what's going to happen today with McCarthy. But well, I think the the disease is a little different now than it was Uh, up until the the Paul case of Paul Ryan. The the problem wasn't um, that the party doesn't know what it is. That was that was the problem. Uh, once once Ryan was there and and uh, and dealing with Trump, and that continues to be the problem. It's it's the identity crisis now, um, and uh, that's not going to get resolved by by whoever the speaker is. It's 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 going to continue to fester. I mean, as we've said on many occasions, the only question that really matters is compared to what, and these people reject the premise. They don't even think about compared these to people what? meaning the opponents. Of the party. <laughs> I mean, Remember, and, this well, is and it, it's it's an evolving category. It's hard to place because the House Freedom Caucus that uh, that got rid of John Boehner isn't the House Freedom Caucus today. And the alternative they had in mind to John Boehner wasn't Paul Ryan. They rejected Paul Ryan outright. But that was the only person who could hold the conference together. And 
they never asked themselves the question. If they did ask themselves the question, they engaged in magical thinking about outcomes that would, there would be some ex machina that would materialize, that would deliver them the outcome they want without ever getting from point A to point B. It was just a slippery slope argument, which elides the actual argument. But well, look, that's that. Can I, ahead, I, we, we've often been very harsh about the Democrats and the way that Nancy Pelosi in particular handled the more extreme members of her caucus. Right. Well, we should be just as harsh talking about the Republicans right now, because the idea that a very small group is holding hostage the speakership and the fact that someone is as kind of nutty as Marjorie Taylor Greene is actually aptly saying this is destructionist. Let's stop. Let's let's like get a speaker in there and let's start doing some work. The fact that she's saying this, uh, challenging people like Matt Gates and others, uh, it's ridiculous. And look, they're setting themselves up for further failure, even if McCarthy gets in, if he holds to some of his promises, like the idea that a vote of five Republicans can uh, to vacate the speakership once it, once the speaker is in there, that that would be allowed would mean well, we any should explain speaker. what that means. Right. So, so they what can they have... want is to have the right at any moment. And this was a thing with Boehner. Also, this is actually right. why Boehner quit, because um they want to be able at any moment to oust the speaker to have a tantrum about a specific thing and they want get to rid oust of the speaker, the speaker with, and yeah. and and the rule has to be written as right. to how you do that and so they want the right at any moment to have either actually the negotiation as of yesterday was a single person can be allowed to bring up I think a it's vote. now five. Right. It was five. Now, now it's yeah. five. It's five. That was a concession one, that McCarthy made. Right. It's well, a huge been, concession. He's yeah, been making he concessions it. for weeks behind the scenes. Like this yeah. guy has been just saying, whatever, I just want the job. Give me the yeah. job. I mean, he's as as John said at the at the top of the podcast, he's he has no moral compass. He has no sort of uh, ability to really lead. So that's part of the problem is that you have someone up for this job that really shouldn't be in it. But the, but the secondary problem, John's absolutely right. It's the party. They cannot decide what they want to do. The one thing they seem clear on is wanting to do things like having a, a committee that investigates the weaponization of the federal government. And, and the thing right. is, we're at a very important moment right now politically where we do need to actually look very closely at some oversight responsibilities that Congress has long held and make sure that those get done responsibly. I have I don't think any American is going to have a lot of confidence that this Republican Congress is going to be able to right. do that. Right. The tell there is that they want it to be more funded, better funded than the January 6th committee. And if that's their only frame of reference, then you understand exactly what the objective here is, is that it's to have show trials and to really create a platform for themselves. Notably, this is all based on Jake Sherman's reporting over at Punchball. So this is all moving very fast and may be completely inoperative by the time you hear this. Um, but they also wanted their own legal entity within the House to file their own lawsuits. That's the uh, House Freedom Caucus, you mean? Well, it's maybe. I mean, it's it's Gates and Lauren Boebert and Scott Perry. Yeah, they want and they, some. They're kind, kind of, of their a, own they, faction yeah, they, within a faction. Yeah. Now, now re also really overplaying their hand. Well, they okay, have a hand so, to play and really, really overplaying it. So now I'm gonna play devil's advocate to my own point about the crisis of Republican governance in the party. Uh there are nine people who are apparently sort of opposing McCarthy's speakership. That's 4%. I just did the, I actually had to do the math because I'm so bad at math. So according to Google, nine is a percentage of 222 is 4.05%, which means that 96% of the, of the Republicans in the house would vote for McCarthy as speaker. Uh, it used to be that you didn't want to be one of the, nine people when 200 and whatever it is 213 214 we're gonna vote the other way that was embarrassing you look like a flake and a weird 
and you didn't want to be that person. It's like the one person who votes against, you know, in a 99 to one thing, somebody votes against the judicial nominee or something like that. It doesn't look good. Um, makes you look like you can't be a political figure. You can't make deal. You can't, or you're, or you're like being ornery and stupid. Now there is this new world of performative politics in which you want to be one of nine. Now you can see politically or in Machiavellian terms, why with a tiny majority, uh, it makes sense if you're like Joe Manchin or Kirsten Sinema, this is what we saw in, you know, in the Democratic Senate circumstance, where um, your power is enhanced by, of course, being in a tiny majority and uh, and being the person who can spit in the punch bowl and ruin things. But you have to have an aim. Like, you have to have a goal. And if their goal is, give me a lot of money to investigate the weaponization of the federal government, that's easy. Like McCarthy said, fine, here, have $5 billion. What do I care? I don't, you know, need this Soros. And I'm sort of for this anyway. But that's not what they're in it for. They've been in it just to, because they they say things like, and this I saw Chiron, a Tucker Carlson Chiron, somebody sent me the other day that said, McCarthy's McCarthy is a Democratic shill. Now, Kevin McCarthy is many things, and as I say, I am, as you can tell from the way I've talked about him, I said he was supine, I said he was a creep, I said he was a coward, not a fan of McCarthy. He's not a Democrat, whatever he is, he's not a Democratic shill. Um, if this is the line that is being taken by this wing of the Republican Party, uh, we really are in a kind of um, anarchic moment in which nobody will ever be anything to any of these people but a monster well and they're uh, and they're not going to be able to do what what the american public as we said in a very surgical strike in the midterm election wanted them to do which is fix some of the basic problems that congress is supposed to fix with the way the world is working right now in the u.s you know look at the economy look at look at the border look at some of the stuff that they look at crime look at all the things that people are worried about but that they don't trust the fringe on either side to handle and that they don't trust the biden administration to actually do much about so that that there's there's actually this huge opportunity right now for a a a party in the house to start making inroads there and they are going to self they're already self-destructing they can't even elect a leader it's just it's it's sad but it's also perhaps a a, a kind of um predictable evolution or devolution of a party that that once captured by trump just doesn't know where its center or soul is anymore also in jake sherman's reporting i shouldn't have glossed over this uh this rump that is going after you know this their own legal entity and wants the january 6th committee to have millions of dollars of funding whatever uh they say that according to Sherman's reporting, that they don't mind if the speaker vote goes to a plurality after multiple votes for the first time in a century, by the way, that would ever happen, and and results in the uh, election of uh, Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries to leadership, because that's their comfort place. They're happy to be in the minority and be fighting against, you know, Democratic forces. It's, 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 it's their comfort zone. <clears throat> but I remember back in in the Boehner days, when the knock on Republicans is that they failed theatrically, is that they were committed to failing in ways that make you thought what they were doing was standing up for your principles, your values. Um, but the failure was baked into the cake always. What is this 
if not failure theater. Well, okay. it's it's exactly so it, it, it is it is the the analog to what we saw fail spectacularly um, on the electoral level, right? But now it's but the, but there it's it's completely internal and organizational now. Um, it is not moving past that the the loser moment. It is embracing it and and sitting in it and and stewing in it. But okay, so what you have with these nine people is they are anti party, by which I mean. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't looked through it to make sure that I, I have the numbers right. But let's say most of them, most of these nine, <laughs> you have most of nine, but most of these nine are likely in districts that are like Trump plus 20. In other words, they are there that they are safe like nothing is safe. Although Bobert you know? barely squeaked through her election. Bobert, right. Well, Bobert is that's I'm sorry. Bobert like won by. Was it 500, 500 votes? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Bobert's a weird. So Bobert's a different case. Okay. But that's why I said most. So um, they're fine. You know, it's like the famous Cockney phrase, you know, blow you. I'm all right, Jack. It's like, why are you doing this? It's like, well, I don't care about anybody else. I'm fine. Um, And so uh, they don't have electoral consequences staring them in the face for Republican failure. They'll just go and say, first of all, all these elections are stolen anyway, and all this, blah, blah, blah. You know, nothing, everything is illegitimate. And so the idea that they need to be part of a politically successful caucus in order to go back home and say, I did this for you and that for you and the other thing for you. That's how politics is structured in a democratic republic is your representatives go home and what they need to do in order to get you to let them represent you again is to say, here's what I've done for you. Or conversely, here's what I, or not conversely, but additionally, here's what I've done for the country as part of a larger, I'm, I'm here to represent you and our district and what we need. And I'm here to represent more generally a, a view of where the country should be. And that's broken. That has been broken by all the Yuval Levin stuff. The fact that, you know, politics is now a platform rather, you know, it's not a molder, it's a platform and all of that. And there is no consequence for these eight or nine people to do what they are doing, including, and this is the supine part, although I don't know what he would do otherwise. Uh, how's he going to punish them? How is McCarthy going to punish them? for doing for humiliating him this way like they own him and they own him whatever happens again unless something happens today that i can't anticipate um they own him and they will and he as a political player is going to need to kneecap them or punish or hurt them because everybody's going to be able to do it you know seven uh suburban congressmen who are in swing districts are it's every man for himself they're gonna have to go out and say we need x y or z or we're gonna oust you as speaker because you you've sucked up to these guys in the freedom caucus like <clears throat> you know what well, the fight itself yeah the speaker? fight itself even if even if mccarthy comes out the the speaker after this he's obviously very weak but whoever if he's not the one and it's scalise or someone else they will also be weak because everyone will have seen this it's like it's like when families you know uh fight out in the open you're like keep that private like get take care of your business so that you don't weaken the entire party but, but they're, they're just, not a family i mean that's ultimately the point they're no. not a family and they're not a party this yeah. is the logical end result of the weakening of the parties this there it's a whole 
it's not, I was going to say it's a theory of government, but it's much more practical than that. <clears throat> the House requires safety in numbers. Like you need 218 votes to pass things. And by the way, even if they get 218 votes to pass things, you know, if they pass very conservative things, Biden will veto them or the Senate won't vote for them. So they can't get much done anyway. You in 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 a less destructive or I don't know what you would call it, a less um, polarized atmosphere <clears throat> that would almost compel them into some bipartisan action. Again, because they need to go home and say, I did I spent two years here in the House trying to do things to help you, my voter. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to be your representative. And that may mean that I have to do things that are politically disadvantageous to me or that I don't like, but I'm forced by circumstance to make compromises because the country is so divided, you know, the country well, there is so used to evenly be, divided. There used to be a move that made you look good, which was when you faced a, a, something like the, the midterms that the Republicans faced, you'd come back and say, you know what, we've heard you. We did it wrong. We went too far. We're 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 consumed with something that that isn't on your radar. Um, lesson learned. Watch us now. Take care of your needs. Whereas now it's we don't believe you. We don't care. And you're you're wrong if it's true. And and there there are there are parties to spoil. Well, and this is actually this happens on both sides. This this part is a both sides problem because the Democrats had the same message. I mean, they got they got spanked in the last election, too. But the thing was, well, it wasn't as bad as we thought. So we're just going to plow ahead. And this is why you get that Chiron on the Tucker Carlson show, John, that that's about, oh, McCarthy's a shill, because it becomes then it's very easy to appeal to the people saying they're all elites. They're all terrible. They're all corrupt. Only we have your back. You've got to kind of like, you know, it's all awful. It's a very negative part, negative message that isn't even entirely partisan. It's just negative and it sells because it's about anger. It's about frustration. People actually genuinely feel those things about both political parties right now. Um, but I think in this case, the Republicans, it really have squandered an opportunity, which was to try to reform and look ahead to the future. They are not. They are mired, as 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 Abe said, they're just marinating in this kind of post-MAGA, I don't know, miasma. <laughs> Right. So uh, let me let me pull back for a second and talk to you about uh, our sponsor today, um, the Call Me Back podcast with Dan Senor. So, uh, Dan, you've heard me talk about this podcast. Uh, you know, it started as post-corona. It's now Dan talking to uh, the most interesting writers, thinkers, uh, political figures, <laughs> um, uh, both on the, you know, sort of on the, on the center right and in and around Israel. He has two podcasts out right now. I want to commend to you. One is uh, our, our friend, commentary, contributing editor, uh, New York Times columnist, Brett Stevens, uh, and who is also the editor of Sapir, a new quarterly journal, um, talking about cancel culture um, and, you know, what it is, how it works, how it affects what everybody does and uh, what how how we may be starting to move beyond it that's the episode with brett and then even also uh an episode with yaakov katz who is the editor of the jerusalem Post, post um talking about uh the netanyahu government that was sworn in last week finally 64 
people in the government a very interesting, very complicated, very shaded uh, government, despite what you're hearing, uh, which suggests that, of course, it's just some kind of, you know, fascist uh, steamroller steamrollering of, uh, of of the of, of Israel, which is interesting since it's the first actual explicit majority government uh, in uh, in in five years or something like or four years, however long it is. Um, anyway, uh, Dan and Katz talk about uh, the most interesting aspect of this, which is uh, does uh, Bibi Netanyahu's and the government's effort to rein in the Israel's Supreme Court, um, which does which acts like it's the U.S. Supreme Court. It sort of rules that things are bad and good, but actually there is no constitution in Israel that gives the court that power. It simply arrogated it to itself, and uh, a lot of the efforts on the right now going up back 20 years, going back 20 years, are to rein in the runaway, unelected uh, court system, um, which uh, has a lot of people screaming on the, you know, in the, in the sort of world of conventional wisdom, but is actually, this is actually an infamy against, against democracy and, and, uh, and, and is something that needs to be uh, taken up. Anyway, that's Dan Senor's podcast, two podcasts this week, Brett Stevens and Yaakov Katz. Go to Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your fine podcasts and subscribe. So let's pull back to a more 30,000 foot view here and talk about how I laid this out about the sort of this 28 year, whatever it is, Republican crisis in managing the House of Representatives, uh, which I'm now going to do the math in my head. Once again, always a mistake. Uh, 14 years from 1994 to 2008 and then uh, 2016 to 2018. So 14-16, now it'll be... So 16 years out of the last 24, I believe, uh, Republicans... 16 out of the last 28, Republicans have been in the majority in the House and with the exception of stuff that happened right after 9-11, have been uncommonly, uncommonly bad stewards of governance in the House. Um, and I think this goes to a problem on the right and a fundamental misunderstanding on the right, which is conservatives don't like government, right? Or they tend to think that government's too interfering and to, to controlling of the economy, it wants to do too much, it needs to do less. That doesn't actually mean that you are supposed to hate government. It means you are supposed to bring to government a view of government's role that needs to be uh, enacted by government. Votes in the House, votes in the Senate, who, who runs the presidency, how all of these bodies manage and oversee the executive branch of the government, how they send money back to the states and localities, all of that. That is a challenge. It is a political challenge. It is a logistical challenge. It is a managerial challenge. And it is part of the responsibility of being somebody with this view of government that you don't say, I don't give a crap about how government runs because I don't like government. I'm sorry I'm here. I mean, it's like if uh, people have been watching Yellowstone this season, the ultimate thing about what's going on in Yellowstone this season is John Dutton becomes governor of Montana, 
solely because he wants to prevent an airport from going uh, from being built near his ranch. And then he actually has to be governor. And he's like, I f- I'm firing everybody. I don't want I, you know, I'm going to go on a cattle drive. I don't want to have anything to do with my job. And it is a perfect crystallization of a certain type of government hating you know, businessman that's like government's no good. Everything that you do is terrible. I'm just going to go back and, and, but he's actually the governor. These people are all, they've gotten themselves elected to government. They're in government. Their job is to manage government and they don't like government. So what do they do? They leave everything. They, they sit around, they do things badly. And then when Democrats come in, Democrats like government and they want to use government. They want to, they want to control society through government And they therefore have a vested interest in getting together, working as a collective, you know, having 50 votes in the Senate has been a wonderfully concentrating thing for the Democratic Party because it makes them cohesive because they have no they have no room for error. They have no margin for error. Christine. See, I, I I think that's correct, but I think what we've seen, particularly since the Trump during the Trump years and and now in the immediate aftermath, is a growing contingent of people on the right who actually don't dislike government but do want to use it for their own power. Just just focusing on it as something that is it's it's a powerful tool that they can use to their own end. So you see this with the sort of national new nationalist conservatives who want to you know be very isolationist and don't care about foreign policy. Now not a lot of them are actually in government yet, but I think a lot of the the obstructionist stuff we see from this, you know, kind of fringe element in the Republican Party, the Matt Gates types, isn't just we hate government or we just want a platform. They're, they can be influenced by this idea that we should take power and use it for our own ends to, to affect culture, to, to have bans on things we don't like. Um, and that actually is a bit of a not exactly a departure. There was always the sort of moral majority. You know, there was a very strong evangelical wing of the Republican Party for many years um, that that influenced policymaking. So in a weird way, I think while we have this sort of typical obstructionist, and then we have the people who are using it as a platform rather than as an institution. There's a there's another group in there that's growing in number that I think actually would love to see power used to pursue their own ends. The problem is that those ends are not what the majority of Americans on either side or actually that that vast middle really want. Well, they say they do, but I see very little. I mean, but what they want is, as you say, it not only don't Americans want it, but they want they don't want to do things they want Except to not shut down do drag things. stream drag drag queen story hour like that right. they want to shut down at the federal level <laughs> right, and that right. and and that's all that's not what i'm right so they want to do things but they have like in their own way a kind of utopian un unattainable agenda mm-hmm. i'm just talking about like you know what the federal government is going to spend 4 trillion dollars this year most of that you don't control the spending of, right? Most of that is entitlements. But there's, you know, more money than anyone has ever seen before going to, you know, discretionary programs. So what discretionary programs do you like? What discretionary programs don't you like? What can you make a deal on with people that you disagree because everybody thinks that these are reasonably good or valuable? And how can you maybe put in control so they don't get run away or right. it's not that they're payoffs to Democratic constituencies. Right, like accountability. Be the party like of accountability. What's right. the accountability or, or like, for how we're spending this? Yeah, so you have a transportation bill. So your transportation bill, you make a deal with the Democrats in the Senate. 
and with Biden. And you're like, no, I'm sorry. We're not going to make sure that everything follows union deals where it's like the mo- the person who bids the most gets the contract or something like that. That's what we can do as Republicans. There is, we're all for transportation. That's where you get into the weirdness where, um, you know, there were things that everybody sort of agreed on that Trump could have, or not that everybody agreed on, but that Trump could have reset the table of American politics by going into coalitions with Democrats on things that he wanted and they wanted, but that they could have, that they were going to come at from two different ideological perspectives, which is what, what enriches democratic constituent groups or what is best for business, however you want to slice it. And then he just couldn't, he was too unimaginative to see the revolutionary implications of his own election you know, because he wasn't interested in them. He was only interested in himself and his celebrity. I, I hate to even mention the term, but um, this is also another effect of January 6th. And that when you, when you have, or, or Trump's overall denial of the, of the, of the 2020 election, um, when you render the whole system um, that completely illegitimate, you make it almost impossible for people in that in the party to work with the system, use the system, be invested at all in the system. Right. Um, and so th- this, you know, forgetting the threat to democracy, but but just the the sort of the threat to any hope of uh, a good working order of the Republican Party. This is a huge legacy of, of January 6th. And it gives and it gives every one of these members of Congress, these this four percent of the Congress, an out at every given moment, which is that they say, I'm here, I am here to blow things up. You know why? Because the election was stolen. And they have control of the executive branch. And they're trying to destroy you and control you. And they are in cahoots with social media. And they're in cahoots with big business. And the, all these elites are controlling you and destroying your lives. And so I'm here to blow it up. Which, again, that's even an understandable view. But blow it up and then... Yeah, it's easier to destroy than to build. Yes. What do you, what do you, what do you build in, in What are you building? Absence? Exactly. Yeah. Right. And what we have is the blow it up without the... build. It's sort of like... You don't want McCarthy as speaker. Who do you want as speaker? Well, they're called the group do that doesn't want? want it. They're called no anyone. It's like never Kevin or something like they. They basically are the anyone but this with no thought to the next week. Literally, they right. don't look a week or two ahead. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which well, is rendered even more foolish given the ways in which Kevin McCarthy has abased himself, debased himself before these people time and time again to try to keep them on board. He's probably as good an ally as they're going to get unless they get one of their own. And it's very unlikely that they can get one of their own in the way that they want. Andy Biggs, I don't think is going to be a viable candidate here, but maybe Steve Scalise. But then you have the the Paul Ryan situation. They don't want Steve Scalise either. I don't know what it is they want exactly. I'm pretty sure they, they don't, don't know what it is, want. what they want. They don't want. You know, I mean, it is, we are getting to the point where not to make constant pop culture references, but that line from the dark night right some people just want to see the world burn that's what the commissioner says about the joker what why is the joker so terrifying in the dark night because he's an agent of chaos he doesn't have a purpose he's not a thief he's not a terrorist 
he is not anything except a sower of destruction. And that, as Christopher Nolan, who made The Dark Knight, figured it, is the most terrifying thing of all. Perhaps. Or Kevin McCarthy has made it very plain that he's the best negotiating partner they have, that they will get whatever they want from him. He's made it right. very plain that he's willing to bend over backwards for these people, even at the risk of his own political position and certainly his own um, honor and integrity. Uh, so maybe they think that they can push him as hard as they possibly can and will get as much as they can out of him because no one else would fit that bill. I mean, you know, Paul Ryan did not want to be speaker. Paul Ryan had no interest in being speaker. He loved, he was chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. That's the job that he liked and wanted and was his thing. And when Boehner resigned saying, you people are all crazy, I want nothing more to do with you. This job is horrible and I'm going to go out and make money. And screw all of you. And smoke and cry in peace. And smoke and cry in peace. And then, you know, the only candidate, the only consensus candidate that they could come up with was Ryan. And Ryan had a very, was in a very interesting position because he didn't want the job. So therefore, the caucus had to convince him to run. He didn't want it. And so therefore, like all, as in any job negotiation, if you don't want it, if you don't want to, you know, if you don't want it, then they have to up the offer. I mean, that and was a humiliating. Give a lot of power. That was a humiliating defeat for the House Freedom Caucus. Um, it was. It didn't end up having much, much of a long tail. Uh, they What's certainly didn't react to it like it was a defeat. But the seeds are sown here for a real MAGA humiliation uh, if they don't get anything remotely but, close to what it, they want out of this deal. It wasn't a defeat because Trump won. I mean, that's why it wasn't a defeat. It was a huge defeat. And Ryan, a lot of power was centralized in the Speaker's office that hadn't been centralized in the Speaker's office because Ryan didn't want the job. And so uh, then Trump came in and ruined and and literally ruined everything, like in the sense that, you know, Ryan had several inventive ideas about how to do things that Trump wanted. He had a whole idea about how to fund the border wall. And he had an idea about how to repeal and replace Obamacare, both of which Trump rejected because he's an idiot, because that was the thing to do. And it would have put Democrats on a horrible defensive and and would have set his administration on a course for success. But because he is such a fool and a loudmouth and a call in to a talk show person and not an actual and and somebody who thinks five seconds ahead and not anybody who actually has a political sense, he made that impossible. And Ryan was like, I got not, there's nothing for me to do here. Why am I wasting my time with this? The Republican Party has gone insane. I'm getting the hell out of here. And this is that party. And it's even worse in some sense because of January 6th, because there it was, that House caucus was staring in the face the fact that Trump set a mob that would have killed them, same as it would have killed anybody if it had gotten to them. And they're like, I'm not, I, ooh, dude, this election, I mean, blah, I'm not going to impeach him. I'm not going to vote for anything, blah, blah, blah. You know, like. Well, now you so, have, now you have a tryhard at trying, at the 
Kevin McCarthy's like the tryhard. Like he wants to please everybody. He just wants the job. He's very, he, he, I mean, that's not a natural leader. I mean, Ryan was very strategic because as you said, John, if you don't want the job, you can negotiate. What, where is Kevin McCarthy's negotiating here? Like he, all he's doing is throwing out plum committee assignments to people like, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who should be nowhere near a plum committee assignment. And, and even that's not enough. It's never enough. I mean, imagine this. So I can't remember when it was. When was it that that Steve King was basically run out of? So Steve King, congressman from Iowa, racist, anti-Semite, filth, um, was basically run out of the House. Uh, he was denied his committee assignments. Fall of 2018. Actually, um, yeah, so he was removed from his committee assignments in January of 2019. So, it, no, no. In 2019 or in 2018? January 2019, he was removed from his committee oh, okay. assignments over his white supremacy remark. I'm sorry. And then in the fall, um, he was uh, – yeah, there was an impeachment inquiry as far as I recall. Wait. No, when was he – when was he – when, when did he lose the primary? I'm a little confused here because I, I thought Republicans – well. I think Republicans were in – charge when he lost the primary that would have been 2018 hold on let me check i'm sorry my whole my whole scenario here is now going 2020 yeah no no june 2020 he lost it so he lost his committee assignments then lost his his primary okay well all right my point is that the republican party turned on steve king in whenever this was like they 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 went to war against steve king and um he now, Steve King would be fine, as far as I can tell. In October 2018, the chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee, Steve Stivers, condemned King as a racist. Chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee. That wouldn't happen today. Marjorie Taylor Greene can say whatever she wants, apparently. Boebert can say whatever she wants. They're not... No one's no one's turning on no one's turning on the extremists in this party anymore. That's also part of January. Like January sixth, the aftermath of January sixth has made it so that far from it being the case that aligning with Trump and the and the and the madness is politically harmful to you and will cause consequences for you in your own party, it's now a badge of honor. Well, I don't know what's going to happen there. Not that it matters. Nothing's going to happen in the next two years. Let's just make this clear. Like, Democrats have moved to the left. Republicans have moved to the right. Democrats are in charge of the Senate. Republicans are in charge of the House. Biden is in the White House. Nothing is going to get done. God only knows how they're even going to vote in a continuing resolution to keep the government open. I don't know what's going to happen. Nothing is going to get done. However, you could see how a more competently run House of Representatives can set the table for a race in 2024, both at the congressional level and at the presidential level, where they say, look, here's what we voted for in that we voted for this budget. We voted for this bill. We did this. And the Democrats were all recalcitrant and wouldn't let it go through. But we passed 112 bills that, that you know, deregulate and, you know, and, and, and control craziness on climate change and do this and vote against gender affirming that and do this and do that. And Democrats just blocked all of it. And but this there's is, no, yeah, go ahead. but they have, there, there's no overarching idea or overarching set of ideas that, that, I mean, all those things are correct. And that Republicans should be doing all of that stuff. 
but they can't like, what's the umbrella? Like, what's the big vision here? Like, there's literally no, it's the vision thing is, as George H.W. Bush once said, what there, there's no one articulating what that is. And certainly Kevin McCarthy, even if he becomes speaker, is not going to be the person to do that. Um, you know, we, we've got all we've got is a kind of hodgepodge of, well, you know, we're moving past the Trump years. But what do you stand for? What is how are you going to change things that better the lives of the average American? What is the vision? Now, I think we see a lot of governors around the country on on the GOP side, who are trying to do that in their states, um, many of whom have, you know, obviously national ambitions. But there's no one in government now on the Republican side that I can think of off the top of my head who has any articulate vision of what conservatism, what Republicanism, what, what that stands for now, except, well, Trump's gone. Let's move on. I think um, it's going to be worse, though, than than nothing gets done, because there are going to be unforeseen crises, big ones. And and this anarchic war is going to be overlaid on in response to to, to whatever those crises are, um, and then and then we're really going to see the poverty of 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 what they're all about. Yeah, it's pure reactionary yeah. posturing. Yeah. Um. So, just why don't we close on this very interesting truth that Trump posted about um, the midterm elections? Uh, on what was this on on New Year's Day? Okay, quote: It wasn't my fault that the Republicans didn't live up to expectations in the midterms. I was two thirty three to twenty, meaning I guess who we endorsed versus who. It was the quote abortion issue unquote poorly handled by many Republicans, especially those that firmly insisted on no exceptions, even in the case of rape, incest, or life of the mother that lost large numbers of voters. Also, the people that pushed so hard for decades against abortion got their wish from the U.S. Supreme Court and just plain disappeared, not to be seen again. Plus, Mitch, stupid dollars. Okay, so Trump is now, I would say, he's now literally playing with fire. So his entire control of the Republican grassroots and stuff like that goes to, uh, you know, his ability to speak for the people who did not feel spoken for. Um, all these candidates that he endorsed, Tudor Dixon in particular in Michigan and others, they were the no exceptions people. You know who weren't the no exceptions people? Ron DeSantis was a signed up 15 week, you know, abortion bill, right? Um, Asa Hutchinson. Uh, Doug Ducey, whom he wouldn't let run, whom he basically blocked from running for Senate, all of that. So he endorsed all of these pro-life, no exceptions people and blocked people who, and, and opposed people or were mean about people that uh, had a more nuanced view. And they... I thought that these no exceptions people, these, you know, abortion extremists, these anti-abortion extremists, I thought that was his base. He is now daring his base to say, I I like you more than I care about the issue that I have been most involved with for 40 years. You're more important to me. I'm not, I, he's attacking pro-life voters for their views on life um either he knows something we don't know like yeah they've really they've sold their souls to the devil and they are therefore they got nowhere to go or he really has lost the thread and this is the most serious indication that he no longer understands the people that he needs to support him 
I mean, I would have said the exact same thing about his support for the individual mandate for uh, the 9-11 conspiracy talk in 2016, half a dozen other Democratic positions that he summarily adopted for himself and then became Republican Party orthodoxy. Um, he's tested this proposition on numerous occasions and has wiggled out on the other side reasonably okay, intact, his political coalition intact. So maybe this is the straw that breaks the camel's back, but I would have said that about a bunch of other things that he survived. There is something different about this. What happened this year with the Supreme Court was the culmination of half a century of the issue that built the modern Republican Party domestically. Right? There were three issues, maybe four over the course of that half century that reconstructed the Republican Party, right? Strength at home and abroad, that's support for cops and serious punishment and the military. Uh, you can then add guns to that later uh, in the 90s when Democrats started coming after guns seriously. Um, and abortion. And uh, that's half a century. So yes, the issue in some sense was culminated in the in the Dobbs decision but um you're talking about tens upon tens of millions of people for whom this was as we now say front of mind in American politics for decades and decades the individual mandate was not the individual mandate was an issue that no one even knew what the hell it was until 2011 never heard of it they didn't know what it was nothing to them and um uh, and a couple of other things so this is different. This is foundational. This it is definitely like, could be different. Okay. Uh, it's but I don't know. Different. You could be right. I'm not well, it's saying definitely, you're wrong. I mean, I, I, when we know. I don't know. Um, but it's certainly easier to throw, uh, you know, um, Scott Perry under the bus than Donald Trump, who's out there saying, you know, we're, we're okay with the Democratic agenda. We're okay with Democratic leadership. It gets us in a good position. I mean, that's a sort of thing that can wreck you not having having no coattails, not having anybody invest in your political career that supports their political career. A lot of people are still under the operating under the assumption or at least acting like they're operating under the assumption that Donald Trump is a vehicle for their own but advancement. Scott Perry is a crazy person. Let, let's just make it clear. Scott Perry is the guy who said I would be fine with Hakeem Jeffries being speaker. Scott Perry is a crazy person. He is an actual lunatic. And, you know, uh, so much so that. It is not beyond the bounds of possibility that he will be indicted for insurrectionism if the if the special prosecutor investigation goes anywhere. I mean, there is there are reasons to believe that he was involved with actual insurrectionists in Pennsylvania who went to January 6th, and that will not be protected by the speech and debate clause. I don't know if it's going to happen. I doubt it's going to happen, but it could happen. And you get the fact that you could even say that that could happen means I don't think you can take him as an example. Like he's not, he's not the right example. He's the most extreme of the extreme of those nine. So well, say Matt Gates then, who's a Fox darling, right? Well, again, it's like what is Fox? Is Fox Tucker or is Fox not Tucker? I mean, yeah. So basically, your goal to get on Tucker is to say the most psychotic thing you can possibly say about anything it's so much so that it's okay that you're dating 17 year olds or whatever and uh, if you know and he still loves you uh, i don't know um it's pretty it's pretty lame that the i don't know i'm just saying i feel like trump lost the thread here 
there was no reason for him to say it. Classic thing in politics is if you don't have to say anything, don't say it. I don't know why he decided to take to the airwaves to make a statement about how abortion, you know, people were stupid about abortion because they're for, you know, they're because they believe abortion is murder. That's crazy. That's a crazy thing to say. Like, it's a crazy thing to say in the Republican Party. And it is like saying, what do you what do you what do you believe in? Like the thing you've most believed in for half a century or me? I just think there's something qualitatively different there. But I again, you could be right. Um, the polls are not suggesting you're right. I mean, the national polls are not suggesting that he has a firm hold on on the Republican base. You know, I mean, I those, mean if these people were poll numbers driven, are what? If these people were poll driven, we wouldn't be privy to this spectacle. Which wh- wh- who who people? You mean the. The, the insurrectionists, yes. For yeah, but well, we're now word. we're now mixing and matching two different things because I'm talking right. about the abortion issue and mm-hmm. whether or not uh, Trump demanding fealty on something when uh, when people like this are moving away from him, voters are moving away from him. Uh, that's weird. Like he needs to get them back to get them to leave DeSantis, who's the flavor of the month, and get back to the tried and true and saying, you know what, you're all stupid. A lot of you are really stupid about abortion. You know, that's not the best way to get people back under your tent if they if they're like peeking their nose out of the tent or stepping two feet away from the tent to think about going into the other tent. I don't know. All right. Uh we're back. I hope everybody had a good New Year's. I'm doing this backwards, obviously, because I'm now wishing you a good New Year's after New Year's, and it's the end of the show instead of the beginning of the show. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. Maybe there'll be a resolution of this we can talk about, or we can move on to other things, because let's face it, who cares what happens in the House? Kevin McCarthy could be Speaker. He couldn't be Speaker. Schmoby could be Speaker. Who cares? You know, nothing's going to happen. And some people just want to see the world burn. So for Abe, Noah, and Christine, I'm John Pothoritz. Keep the candle burning.